just to set the stage real quick for Acts 4.13, what we're looking at today, Acts 4.13 through 31. Remember, <laughs> Acts is written by Luke to a guy named Theophilus to document how God is working through His people. He had 12 apostles to be witnesses. They were to be witnesses to the Jewish people that Jesus was Messiah and to the rest of the world. But first of all, to the Jewish people. And so there were 12 of them. Why? There were 12 tribes. And so God allowed these 12 apostles to be His unique apostles, uniquely gifted with power and authority in ways that were gifted specifically to them where they could literally go up to somebody and say something and heal them because the power of the Holy Spirit flowed through them to let them know when to do that and when not to. They were close to God at that point. They were walking with Him. They were filled with the Spirit. Not some fluffy feeling, but they were yielded to whatever God wanted. We know that because prior to Acts, they scattered because they were afraid. But now they've come back and they're emboldened. They're back in the temple, the very place where the leaders rule that crucified their leader. And they're there to represent Him, to go preach in His name because they had been told to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw in Acts chapter 2, it came and Peter boldly preached. 3,000 people trusted. Remember back in the Old Testament when Moses got the law? How many men died? 3,000 men died that day because of disobedience. And the law brought death, Paul says, but the Spirit brings life. Now 3,000 people that day came to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now these believers are meeting together. They're, they're learning. They're fellowshipping together. They're in community. And Peter goes back to the temple, he and John. And as they go back, they see this lame guy who's been there. Jesus walked by him more than likely. They had walked by him before, but this day, God moves in Peter to say, hey, I don't have silver and gold. Rise up and walk. And he did. And then he preached. You did this. You crucified the one. You were supposed to be testifying to Pilate that he was Messiah, but you denied him in front of Pilate. You did. It was worse than just sinful killing of Jesus. You denied Messiah, the one God sent. In front of the Gentiles, you're supposed to bless the world according to what Genesis 12 says. And so, Peter preaches this message and they can't deny that a miracle happens. And they're, they're they're distraught. They're upset. They're upset, first of all, they're preaching in the temple. And second, they're upset at what they're preaching in the temple. That Jesus of Nazareth is Messiah. And so we saw last week, like I said earlier, that the way we respond to persecution is first of all, we trust God's plan. He allows us to go through things to expose our faith, right? And when you think about it, when I think of John Monger, my friend who was in Bhutan, who was beaten and all that for Christ, why am I drawn to John? Why am I drawn to want to be around John? Because John Monger has a faith that's been tested. And right now in the world, there's a hundred million, more than a hundred million Christians who are being physically um, beaten and suffering 
simply for being believers and followers of Jesus. Right now, at this very moment, over 100 million. Not alienated from family, not losing their job. They're being physically beaten or killed right now. And most of us, we go through life and we don't even think about it. Why? Because it's uncomfortable to think about because we, we feel guilty, maybe survivor's guilt, whatever you want to call it. We, we're not like that. But God hasn't called us yet to do that. But He does call us all to be willing to do that. And that's why last week, for you guys who weren't here, here and in every other group, we, there were guys that said, well, I didn't sign up for that. You know, I was talking about going on a mission trip and all of a sudden finding yourself in the midst of persecution. Well, I didn't sign up for that. I just wanted to go tell people about Jesus. Well, let me remind you what Jesus said over in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That's what Jesus said. You know what Peter said? Or God through Peter in 1 Peter 4? Don't be surprised at fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. If tomorrow, guys, you get a knock on the door and they say, Tim, heard you were at a SWAT meeting yesterday where they talked about Jesus. Are you one of those Jesus followers? Well, yes, sir, I am. Come with me. You're going to jail. Wait a minute. This is America, man. I I got rights. Not anymore. Laws change. Now you're going to jail. Oh, and by the way, you're going to be executed tomorrow. See, we don't even think like that. How many guys in here were in the military? All you military guys, tell the guys who weren't in the military what it means to be in garrison. What does it mean to be in garrison? You're basically back with the bags. You're chilling out, waiting to go to the battlefield. When you're in garrison, most of the time, 99.9% of the time when you're in garrison, there is no threat of the enemy coming into where you are. Most of the time. That's the way we view our walk with Jesus here in this country. We're in garrison. We view going to a mission field. I, I was talking to a guy earlier today. And his son's going to a place over in the Middle East because he's serving with a ministry. And he said, man, you need to pray for him. You need to pray for him. And, you know, he, he's concerned because his son is going to this place that if I mention the name of the country, every one of us would be concerned about it. But we should be just as concerned about our children here because we're in a battle everywhere. Everywhere is a battlefield for God's people. We are in the midst of the battle, not in a garrison. And we have to change our mindset, ask God to change our mindset about our wartime mentality. Are we warriors or not? Are we in a battle or not? He doesn't call us to be in garrison. He calls us to be actively engaged as ambassadors on the battlefield. Paul, by the way, was always engaged in battle, even when he wasn't a believer yet. He was thinking he was doing the right thing, but he was out in battle mode, right? 
So when God calls him, he goes into battle mode. What happens to Paul? Five times he receives 39 lashes. We read over that like it's a walk in the park. Guys, let me explain what happens. They didn't go to him, hey, uh, excuse me, Saul. Uh, oh, it's Paul. Saul, did you come with me? Yeah, just come on down here. They probably roughed him up as they were arresting him. He probably went into a prison that was not very friendly. Then they took him out, put him on a pole, stretched his back out, and got a whip and beat him. 39 lashes. Not once, not twice, five times. And then he was beaten with rods three times. And then he was stoned outside one city. They thought he was dead. And this is what Paul says. After those things happened, this is what he said. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now you know why Paul could write that? And why listen, okay, let's be honest. If you're going through a hard time, does that verse not encourage you? It does me. I hang on to that verse right there. I hang on to it. Because the man that wrote it has moral authority to, to, to convey that. Why? He's lived it. And his faith is tested. Guys, when we go through persecution, it's always satanic, first of all. It's always because he hates Messiah and his followers. But also, you need to understand that James says in James 1 that we should count it all joy, not because we like pain, not because we like to be persecuted, but why? He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And he's talking about persecution-type trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. Endurance. Steadfastness. And he says, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What do you think John Monger felt after he spent three months being beaten in prison and he comes out of prison? Do you think he was encouraged that God got him out, but he survived? And he didn't falter in his witness to the jailer and to the people there? Because they said, deny Christ, you can walk out. And he didn't. What about the second time? Yeah, that's why John Monger, when he moved to the U.S. in the middle of a highly Muslim area in Austin, Texas with other refugees, even amidst death threats out there, was witnessing to Muslims because he didn't care. His faith had been tested. He knew who he could trust. He knew God was in control. And if God wanted him to die, he could have died a long time ago. Right? That's what happened to me in Russia. I knew that day. That guy said I was going to die. I thought I was going to die. I could have died very easily. God could have taken me so many times over the last 25, 30 years. And He didn't. My time's in His hands. But I'm expendable for Him. You're expendable for Him. But we live in a country that teaches us to hold on to our our humanity more than holding on to Him. Guys, things are going to keep getting worse. You're going to see how bad humanity really is. It's going to get bad. Well, Jimmy and Fred, the Bible's already spoke to it. It's going to get worse. 
Because Satan has temporary authority over this until what? The fulfilling of time of the Gentiles. It's not yet done. But there's going to come a time when he comes back. Until that moment, we are in a battle. We're in a war. And we've got to have a wartime mentality. As we go through this, we saw there were these two responses. The leaders, the religious leaders persecuted because they were angry and upset. They didn't have faith. But we saw the sheep. They repented. They had faith. And, and so these leaders call Peter and Paul in. They arrest them. And we're going to see today in 13 through 31, as the leaders try to exert more force on them to not testify to Jesus how we are called to walk through persecution. Last week, again, we were, trust His plan. His plan, not mine. Trust His power, not mine. I have no power to do anything. And trust His Word. His Word says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing will separate us from His love. So even when we fail, we come back to Him. His Word says that God created everything. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaim His handiwork. He created all this stuff. He created us. He owns us. He bought us, the Bible says. So we are His. And so as we walk through persecution today and read this, I see four things in these guys here that I think we can apply to our own life as we go through persecution. First of all, God calls us to walk through persecution as an undeniable witness. You know what it means to be an undeniable witness? It means that you witness what has happened in your life in a way that it can't be denied. If you try to tell somebody about something that's not true or something that didn't happen to you, they might try to deny that. But listen, I, I testified to you guys last week what happened to me in, in Russia. People can say what they want. I was there. I lived it. I know what happened. People can deny your theology, but what they can't deny is your personal experience. One of the issues in the American church is people are trying to live out other people's faith in their life instead of their own faith with God. But you are called, just like they are, to walk through persecution with an undeniable witness. And that's what we see in the text. Second, we see as you walk through persecution as an uncompromising warrior. Uncompromising warrior. You do not compromise. Why? Because we're all in this together. We're all warriors. I, I hate to throw this this illustration in because I, I don't want to get distracted on it, but it was so powerful to me. Part of being an uncompromising warrior is knowing your mission, right? Movie 300 about the men of Sparta who go up against Xerxes and the Persians. And he meets up with the Arcadians. And there's lots of Arcadians. Lots of them, right? Thousands of them. There's only 300 Spartans. And the guy goes... You didn't bring more. Why, why didn't you bring more guys? And, and then Leonidas just looks at the Arcadians. He goes, you, 
What's your profession? I'm a blacksmith. You, what's your profession? I'm a farmer. And he goes, Spartans, what's your profession? They go, ah! My men are soldiers. Because I have more soldiers than you. You see, it's a mindset that says, I am a warrior for Christ. I realize that every day my head pops off the pillow. He's my commanding general. He sets my agenda for the day. He directs my paths. He determines where I go. He determines what happens to me. And He determines how I'm strengthened to deal with whatever I deal with. But I am under His authority and I am in a war where He is my general. Now, if we really assessed ourselves, most of the time when we wake up, we don't think that way. But we should. So what do you do? You repent and say, Lord, help me think that way. That's the second characteristic that I see in Peter and James and John. And we see that in the way they respond to their threats. Third is we see walking through persecution as an unstoppable worshiper in prayer. It, I mean, it doesn't matter what people tell us. It doesn't matter how they ridicule us. It doesn't matter what laws they pass. We are unstoppable worshipers of the one true living God and prayers. They're one and the same. Prayer is worship. We tend to view prayer as only request. But if you go back and you read in the Bible, you look at their prayers, almost every prayer, if not all, start off with acknowledging how awesome and great God is. And we're going to look at a couple of those. And then fourth, God calls us to work through walk through persecution as an unintimidated worker. Two key words there. Unintimidated means we're not intimidated by what's going on around us. And the second word is worker. What does a worker do, Brad? They they do the work. See, we live in a culture where we think the work is the professionals. The people who are on staff at a church or a parachurch organization. We all are warriors. We all are workers. We're His workers to do His work. Next Tuesday, right here, we're going to have all the SWAT groups come together, bringing guys, and Brad Sykes and Rick Brackett are going to lay out a training. They're going to, this is going to be the first one of two on how you can be more effective as a discipler for your family, for your friends, how you can take one sheet of paper and one hour in a week, no materials you have to have other than what we're going to go over here, and you go through a series of questions, and you begin to do the work God made you to do. We were born for this. It's what we were born for. You were created to be a disciple maker. Because you were created for a relationship and partnership with the Most High God. It's a privilege that we don't count as a privilege all the time. So, those four things. An undeniable witness, an uncompromising warrior, an unstoppable worshiper of prayer, and an unintimidated worker out of this text in 4.13-31. So I'm going to read it. 
and we're going to come back, make a couple more comments, and then close up our time for today. Starting in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man of whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And then they went and relaxed. No, that's not what happened. It says, it says, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate. One represented the Gentile head, one represented the Jewish head. Along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So it wasn't just the leaders, it was the people following. It was the Romans and the Jewish people following. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Nothing happens to any one of us without going through His hand. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Wait a minute, Peter. You already were bold. You already have boldness, man. You've got, you've got it. You've got a mots, man. You've got courage. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Notice that Peter doesn't say through my hand there. Notice that Peter doesn't say these miracles are performed through us. Through the name of your holy servant Jesus, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. May God bless His Word. Man, it was shaken, guys. Shaken. Why? 
because they were going through a test and Paul said in Colossians, I rejoice in my suffering. Why? Because, he says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of the body that is the church. In other words, my persecution is bringing growth to the body of Christ. Why? Because Christ is no longer physically on the earth. And if you're His, you're going to suffer if you're doing His work. You can rest assured that's going to happen. Paul said in Philippians 2, 17, he says, if, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad of it. I'm glad. God calls us to walk through persecution. No question about it. Why don't we? Well, most of us aren't walking through it right now because we live in a culture that we have a very weak church in our culture. And we have had this, like I said, this garrison mentality and we, we kind of buckle up when we go over on another continent or we go to another part of the world or we go, but here every day when we wake up, we don't think about being in a wartime mentality. But God calls us definitely to work through, walk through this persecution and he says, first of all, with an undeniable witness, verses 13 through 16, he lays out, they could not deny what was going on. It was real. It happened. These were uneducated common men. That doesn't mean in the Greek, he's not talking about they didn't know how to read and write. He's saying they didn't have professional training. Hello. John Monger had no professional training. I'd take John Monger over a hundred preachers in this country that have gotten degrees, doctorate degrees from seminaries. Because John Monger has a matz. You know what a matz is? A matz? It's courage. Hebrew for courage. When he says be strong and take courage, it's a matz. John Monger has it. It's the same a matz that you saw in uh, Gideon. Now Gideon... Didn't mean he want, he didn't want to go through it, but he he ultimately did. He took three hundred men and beat a hundred thousand plus men because he had it. But these men were uneducated; they were not trained. But you know what it says? It's interesting about this. It says they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They said that Luke wrote that down. That's what they said. The leaders said they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Do you think when Peter and John were in front of Caiaphas and Annas, they weren't hearing what Jesus said? They weren't, they, they weren't seeing what Jesus did in them? Do you think they weren't having a, a moment there of going, wow, we're not getting rid of this thing? Remember one guy on there named Gamaliel who's saying, man, you know what? If this is of God, you ain't going to be able to stop it. And, and they were seeing this and they're, they're still trying to stop it. Why? Because it's eroding their power base. Because when all you care about is power and all you care about is the world, you're so blinded to things you don't even see it. But not these men, not Peter and John. You know, listen to what Paul says in um, 2 Corinthians 2. 
He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death to the other a fragrance from life to life. I love what Alexander McLaren says. He says it like this. A soul habitually in contact with Jesus will imbibe sweetness from Him. Just as garments laid in a drawer with some that have perfume on them will absorb the fragrance from beside that which they lie. You cannot spend time with Jesus and have it not show on you. And any of you who've walked with him for any length of time. You know exactly what I'm talking about. When you encounter somebody who is close to Jesus, it just oozes off of them. And I'm not talking about by the words they say. I'm talking about the life they live. Their their priorities. The things that are important. Do you know, every time I talk to John Monger and every time I talk to Dawasinga, you know what they talk about? who they're witnessing to, what they're doing to win people to the kingdom. Every time. Every time. I talk to them at least twice a month. Every time I talk to them. Brother, pray for me because... Boom, boom, boom. Brother, pray for me. Boom, boom, boom. You know what I say? Brother, pray for me. My family's falling apart. Brother, pray for me. I'm doing this. They're asking to pray for the fight. That's part of our issue. We have a garrison mentality. Do you think guys on the battlefield are worried about what's going on with the front lawn? I'm serious. When Desert Storm was going on, do you think guys were thinking back when they were over in, in, in Iraq? Man, my lawn was messing up really bad. I got chinch bugs. They weren't thinking about that. They were thinking about the, the missiles coming in, man. The Scud missiles. They were in a war. The healed man stayed with them because he smelt that fragrance. He wanted to be with them even though it meant he could be de-synagogued, cursed by the authorities. And here's the crazy thing. They made no attempt to discredit the message about Jesus. They just wanted him to stop teaching it. Because they couldn't deny it. Why? He was an undeniable witness. Well, second, they were uncompromising warriors. Down in verse 17... It said in order that it might spread no further, they told him, you can't talk about him anymore. And what did they say? Listen, whether it's right in the sight of God, you have to judge. What does that mean? That means they were willing to take consequences. See, we have a very conditional approach to serving God. We will serve Him to a point, but I'm not going to give this up. I'm not going to give this up over here. Not these guys. They were uncompromising warriors. They were in a battle. They were in a battle. Back in Daniel chapter 3, you remember what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said? They were told to worship an idol. And they said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, first of all, you didn't address the king like that, but they didn't care at that point because they were already condemned. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to pay you any mind, it said in Daniel 3.16. We don't have to listen to you. We're never going to bow down to you because our God's going to deliver us. And most of us would stop right there. We have that faith. 
But then verse 18 says, even if he doesn't, we will never bow down to you. We compromise for far less. They, they were uncompromising warriors. First Kings 18, Elijah. Elijah going up. One guy against 400 plus prophets of Baal. Plus the prophets of Asherah were there too. One guy. He had some amats. He had some amats. Yeah, go ahead and pour water on it. Wait, your God, He must be taking a dump out there. He must be relieving Himself, obviously. Tall, come on, cut yourself. Do all the pagan things you do. That took amats. They could have killed Him. He didn't care. He knew who His God was. Acts 20. Paul says, I don't account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Each one of us have a course, guys. Are we going to be compromising wars? You see, Peter and John, it went really well this time. They prayed for boldness and it's a good thing they did because... Chapter later, in chapter 5, they're back in the same place. And they, they said, listen, we have to obey God. We have to even... They beat Him the second time. They didn't beat Him here. The second time they beat Him. Persecution is going to continue, but every time it puts God fully on display, the faith. Paul says in Galatians 6, he said, I bear in my body the marks of Christ. So an uncompromising warrior an undeniable witness. And third, an unstoppable worshiper and prayer. I love verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends, to their community, told them what happened, and they said, let's pray. And then they start praising God. They start praising Him. And again, when we think of our prayers, our prayer time, our prayer requests, most prayer forms, if you go into churches on it, all it says is prayer requests. That's what we have on our sheet here. What it should say is, I want to praise God for blank first. Then, I'm asking God to do blank so that, what? I can testify to Him. Not just for me. We're so conditioned, even in our prayers, to be inward instead of God-focused. You go back and look at all these great prayers. 1 Chronicles 29.11 Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is Yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and You are exalted as head over it all. Psalm 22 You are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel and You our fathers trusted and You delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted. They were not put to shame. These people lifted up praise to God and really praised Him. Jeremiah 10.6 says, There is none like you, God. You are great. You are great. And Your name is great in might. That's what led David to go down on the battlefield and say to the people of Israel, Why are you afraid of this guy? This nine-foot giant. Those men, they were afraid. And remember what God told Joshua? 
through Moses. Don't be afraid, Joshua. You go conquer. You go conquer. And young little David, little teenage David, young teenager, goes, what are you guys afraid for? This isn't our fight. This is God's fight. Don't let him mock the one true living God like that. Go out there and go in the name of God. And he did. He was an unstoppable worshiper prayer. And, and we still talk about that story today. That was a real story. That was not some bedtime story that they made up. That really happened. Gideon really happened. Elijah really happened. Those stories really happened. This story really happened. Daniel 6, when Daniel was told not to pray anymore, they passed an ordinance. You know what he did? He goes, he opens up his window, and he does what he's always done. He prayed three times a day. He didn't care that people saw it. He wanted them to see it. He welcomed the persecution because he knew it was wrong. What are you going to do when they say, you know what? Uh, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus anymore. You know what? You're not allowed to talk about the Word of God anymore. Are you going to cave? Are you going to be a compromising person who is just, well, I just got in the guard because I just, I just wanted my college paid for. Man, I didn't want to go to war. Because that's happened. And it's happened in the church. People just want the name, but they don't want the responsibility. He brings you in to deploy you out. And He wants us to be unstoppable worshipers and prayers. But it's not just about praising Him, guys. We tell Him our need. Psalm 50, 15. He says, Call upon Me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify Me. Psalm 91, which is called often the soldier psalm or it's called the, the, the warrior psalm. Because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. God's talking here. I will protect Him because He knows my name. When He calls to me, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him and honor Him. That's what God says. Hebrews 13.6 says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And that leads us to be an unintimidated worker. To be bold. By the way, Romans 8.31, you can write that down too. If God's for us, who can be against us? All the way. Nothing separates us from His love. He, once He has you, He's got you. He's not letting go. And that's why we can be bold workers. Notice it says, they continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak the Word of God with boldness. They were bold. They were kazak. That means strong in Hebrew. Kazak. When it says, rock, kazak, amatz, it's be strong and courageous. Deuteronomy 31.6 Rock, Kazakh, Amats. It was an ancient Hebrew war cry. You know what it was? Rock, Kazakh! Rock, Kazakh! There was a, a, a guy named Eric Ludy. He's still alive. as out in Colorado. He runs a training center out there. He did a thing I want to show you in just a second. But I want you to think about this 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, when he was being persecuted, when he was dealing with stuff, he says, when I'm weak, he's strong. If you feel weak, it's okay. If you feel like this is above you and too hard for you, it's okay. Paul says, when I'm weak, he's strong. And that's why Joshua had to be told, Joshua, three times, be strong, take courage. Rock Kazak Amats, three times. Isaiah 31, 4. Listen to what the Lord says. For thus says the Lord to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he's not terrified by their shouting or dawning at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. God ain't afraid of the Equality Act. God ain't afraid of the president doing something to make it harder to tell people about Jesus or the truth of God's word. God ain't afraid of any of that. Do you know the quote that he quoted when Peter's praying? He's praising God and he quotes from Psalm 2. It's a messianic psalm. But you know what it says about God? How he looks at leaders? He laughs at them. Because they think they've got something. They think they're powerful, and he laughs at them. That's why he quotes that there. You ought to go back and read Psalm 2. It's a good psalm. Guys, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and Christ is the focus of our lives, then the Holy Spirit is not going to promote us. It's not going to promote Himself. It's going to promote Jesus of Nazareth. It will make you bold. We will be who we need to be. We will be the church. We will have an undeniable witness. We will be uncompromising warriors. We will be unstoppable prayers and worshipers. And we will be people who are unintimidated workers for Him. I want you to see this thing about Eric Lutie. If I can get it up. And then I'm going to close our time with prayer. Cut the lights off, please, if you want to. Where's our war cry? We don't even know that we're at war. We don't understand that we're in hostile territory. This isn't a time of peace. It's against the principalities and the powers that are puppeteering the people. And we are in a position to see souls set free. This is a very ancient war cry throughout all the generations of the Hebrew nation. Rock! Kasak! Where does it come from? Kasak. This is the Hebrew. The rock-like oomph of the spiritually zealous heart. The game face of a mighty man. Tenacity of soul. The gritting of the teeth of the spirit-inspired warrior. And the bearing of those teeth to the enemy. Kasak is possessing a resolute and growling resolve for the glory of God. A flush of spiritual fervor. A tensing of all a soldier's muscles. There's a Kasak. We don't have that spiritually. We should. We don't. Because we don't know what we're engaged with. Did you know that you have the armory of heaven? That you have everything you need for life and godliness to push the enemy forces back? And so when you hear Kasak, your knuckles spiritually should immediately turn white. And you should find yourself critting your spiritual teeth with a belligerence against the enemy. He goes down. There are souls that must be saved. 
all the powers of earth and hell that come against your soul, and all the powers of earth and hell that are puppeteering the lost masses, you hit them square in the teeth, and you show love to this world. To anyone who would spit in your face, you serve them and you love them in return and say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder and the call on us to be strong and courageous, to depend on you. Forgive us, Lord, for our lack of faith. Forgive us, Lord, for allowing fear to paralyze us. Forgive us for inactivity. Forgive us, Lord, for so many things that come to mind when I just watch that. No pictures of people that are dying without Jesus, even though 150,000 people die every day without Him. It's just so convicting. And we are your workers. We are your people, your warriors. We are your witnesses. And Lord, we have failed to have a wartime cry, a wartime mentality. And we just call upon you for mercy and ask, Lord, to renew a spirit within us to let us start today, right now, this moment. Right now. We want to start today to live for you. March 17th, right now, 105, Lord. Let us be your uncompromising warriors. Your undeniable witnesses. Let us be prayers that are unstoppable, unintimidated by the things going on around us. Fill us with your spirit. Let us be yielded to your word. Let us be the church. Let us be strong. Let us be courageous. Rock, Kazakh, Amats, Lord. Let that be our battle cry. Rock, Kazakh. We love you. Amen.